Welcome to Harvard and Tech Seattle Podcast, Episode 4, and I'm your host, Stefan Harper. Today's guest is Laura Butler. Laura is currently the co-founder and CEO slash CTO of Seattle startup Uplift Group. She is also an amateur angel investor and LP who takes a fairy godmother approach. She invests in people with grit, passion, ethical compasses, and innovative ideas, but who have lacked access to capital and just need that first person to say yes. Laura has worked at Microsoft three times and left three times, which is data in favor of the it takes three times to get it right Microsoft meme. In her first tour of duty, aka A New Hope, she was a Harvard dropout happy to have a paycheck who ended up accidentally on the Windows team. In her last tour of duty, aka Return of the Jedi, she got lucky again and became the first female distinguished engineer and then technical fellow at the company. As you may have guessed, Princess Leia is one of her role models. 99% of Laura's personality can be explained by Star Trek, Bugs Bunny, The Muppet Show, and Star Wars. As such, she hates stuffy titles like Technical Fellow, but has been known to use them when attempting to get a reservation at a busy restaurant. Well, welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you. Uh, let's just jump right into it. So what got you interested in tech? <sighs> I have to kind of back up and talk about tech and what it really is. I've always made things, either because we had to, we weren't very rich growing up, and I, I'm clumsy, so I break things a lot. So I have to put them together, back together again, maybe uh, not so subtly in some cases. Like my mom always knew when I secretly unwrapped the, my birthday presents and rewrapped them. So that, and being hands-on, always a thing. I probably aligned with theory better, like theoretical mathematics and stuff, because it's, the emotion was divorced from it, or so it seemed. Right? People problems are hard problems. Spreadsheet problems are wonderful. Grid and matrices and, you know, right angles. Well, it turns out that's not even the way the universe is really uh, structured anyway, right? Like the standard laws of physics don't apply at the small and the big. They're just kind of in the middle. But that was, that was it. So it was kind of more of an escape on the theoretical side. And I got into tech because I got to, went to Harvard. And I failed the most basic, simple requirement of being able to like check email. I had three options to meet that requirement. It was called the QRA or the QRR at the time. And one of them was just insultingly stupid. It was like math for idiots. And not only was it insulting, I could not afford to add that to my schedule. <laughs> one was like at a time I couldn't deal with. The other option was basically programming 101. And I said, sure, I'll take that. I'm taking intensive Japanese five days a week at 8 a.m. Like, how hard can this thing be? <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, that was painful. I think it took me two months to finally be able to make a triangle of asterisks like that had centered, you know, kind of uh, <laughs> symmetric around like the vertical axis. So that, that's really the, the true answer. And so stubbornness. I hate on principle, having my freedom restricted. So if I'm bad at something like basketball or volleyball or programming or feel like ignorant and feel stupid, I just get mad and I stick with it. And I'm glad I did. Awesome. 
So with that, how would you say your experience at Harvard influenced you to be who you are now? Okay, this is going to be a long and somewhat philosophical answer. And I mean long by my standards. My short answers are long by lots of other people's. And it's going to be long and philosophical because I'm almost done reading the Three-Body Problem trilogy, which is it's phenomenal. Even better than the hype. More than 10 years behind, you know, the party. That's how I stay stylish. Just if you just be really, really behind everything, sooner or later, other people will lap you, right? In fashion, hey, I've been wearing athleisure for like, you know, a decade now, and it's finally cool with COVID. Okay. And what I love about that book, many things about that book, but it's changed how I think about some things. And it's weird that it's science fiction. You think of science fiction as influencing the future, right? But it has changed the past for me because I'm looking at the past through this different perspective, right? So it's strange, that, but it's true. The future can influence the past. So why is this on my mind? Why is this relevant to Harvard? Because if you had asked me last year, I would have said, well, it taught me how to like, how it value list my two years at Harvard were, and it made me just so happy to find a great place to be, which was Microsoft. That is true, but it's not complete. So the thing that's on my mind now, and this is why I say the past changes with the future and you get more info and more perspective, is it was wonderful learning for a startup to be a founder, not because it was teaching me entrepreneurship. I mean, this was a time when like the, the Science Center had just gotten some computers down in the basement. And if you mm -hmm. had any brains at all, you volunteered in the, com the, the computing center because you got access, right? So you don't have to wait behind all of the people doing word processing on the Macs. Okay. But because Harvard, intentionally or unintentionally, there's a lot of sink or swim. It is a big school relative to some other of some others of the Ivy Leagues, right? What, mm -hmm. 1,600 people plus or minus in one class at Harvard. There's so many choices, just like life, and so little time, just like life. And a lot of peer pressures and trendiness and insecurities, especially with young people, right? And you have to, it helped me find my center. At the time, my center was, I hate this place. I'm out of here. Microsoft's going to pay me to do stuff I like. <laughs> but also to not be overly affected or fall into the gravity wells of other people. Like I found my Lagrange points and that ability to be like, okay, I don't know how to do this, but like I'm going to go hack into like, Holyoke or whatever, and try to talk my way out of a $25 fine. Like those skills turn out, turn out to be really useful. So I'm weirdly appreciative right now. And I would not have said that a year ago. That said, as you know, if you even drove by Harvard, you become a Harvard alum and you can move, you can change your name. You can emigrate to a monastery in Tibet and the Harvard Alumna Association will find you and send you, hey, for just, you know, seven zeros, you can have your name on a building. <laughs> so I just say this because it doesn't change my view of, of donating to Harvard. And also, it was the first place that was like that bar scene in Star Wars. Is it Moss Eisley, the cantina scene? Mm. I mean, people from all over the world, food, ideas. And I just wish I had known more and had the opportunity to snack more on this incredible buffet. It's like going to some like $49 incredible Brazilian 
you know, all you can eat buffet and then like eating salad. That was probably how I, I, what I did at Harvard and I have no, you know, can only blame myself for that. Actually, I was curious about uh, how did you get your internship in the first place with Microsoft? Because I remember reading or at least listening to you on another talk about how a woman had whisked you away. So I wonder, like, how did that happen to go to legal seafoods? Oh, yeah, legal seafoods. I know. Well, I was in classic starving student fashion. I'm definitely allergic to shellfish, by the way. I was like, oh. <laughs> food. Oh, this is awesome. You know, I, I think I took home like three loaves of bread. Anyway, <laughs> like putting it in my big old like tote bag backpack. Well, I have to back up. So I graduated from high school when I was 16 and I never had a real job. I didn't have a driver's license. And if you live in Connecticut, like you can't, it's like Texas, you can't do anything anywhere without a car and, until I got to Boston. And I didn't get my driver's license my freshman year either. And so after my freshman year, I worked, I had to, I was not going to go back to the town grocery store. I, I knew that. I worked in a data processing center for savings and loans. And it seemed like a great job at the time. It was like being in an air conditioning facility for nine hours a day with almost no responsibilities. And what I heard was, I can read, like cha-ching. And I got back to school sophomore year and everybody, it felt like everybody else was like, oh yeah, I helped topple the despotic government of, you know, Badistan. And I, I was, you know, the model and muse for French designer in Paris. Another person was like, oh yeah, I, I got controlled fusion to kind of work in my garage. <laughs> and then they're like, Laura, what did you do? And I'm like, I worked in this data process. Okay. Which was good for physical skills because I had 60 seconds. I had to tuck and roll and get out of there when they would, they would do periodic like fire tests and in these big old like tub, like disk drive storage spaces. They suck all the oxygen out. And I think they pump at the time they pump in Freon or God knows something terrible for the environment, but also lethal. And they were pretty clear that any single one of these tapes was worth 10 times me because it had like customers, you know, bank account info on. So I had to get my ass out of there. Okay. Um, so that was, that was the landscape. And then I like took an extra class and I got really overloaded. I had no time to think about it. And I came back, after, it was at the end of reading period, 1989. And people are like, you need to get your butt in gear. These internship things, like they, the system now, like if you're not in the queue, you know, in the summer, the year before, like good luck, right? So I went down to the Career Center and I signed up for some stuff and I thought I'm gonna be an investment banker. That sounds, I could do that and I can hang out in New York City rent-free. So I showed up and some woman, her name was Karen Hargrove. She was the first head of research, said, oh, great, you must be, and I don't even, I think I heard my name. I don't even know if it was supposed to be me. Maybe I signed up for the wrong one. And I got asked these really interesting questions. And I'm like, I can hack life this is awesome. They're not asking me about, you know, like differential trading spreads and what have you. They're like, how would you estimate the population of Boston from a newspaper? And how would you get yourself out of a locked room with no windows and doors and just some dental floss? And I'm like, I can I know how to do that. Or at least I think I know how to do that in classic Harvard confidence because I've seen it on TV. Yeah. And the next thing I knew, they're like, great. You, you want to come to dinner tonight? We're paying. Those two words were the most important ones. <laughs> They just made it so easy. What I just said is true in the way that a, a great painting is true. It captures the emotion. The facts of it, a photograph might be quite a bit different, but the thing that really made it, and I don't 
know if people really get this now. So this was 1989, right? Microsoft, to a lesser extent, Apple and some of the Borland, some of the companies, they were 100% sure that there was nobody in university, even in a PhD program, who was learning anything of value relative to what was happening in the industry. Not because they were dumb, but because it was so far off of theory and it was so much kind of like hacking, figuring stuff out practical and it was advancing fast. So they were just looking for kind of weird creative problem solvers. And they made a tremendous effort to go to universities. Harvard, of course, Bill Gates and Steve Moore were at, right? So they had good recruiting machines already because they had people that they hired who went to these universities. You'd kind of go, oh yeah, that person got it. What that person got a B in economics, loser, you know. And they made it easy at a time when I was really not sleeping. I was making, oh God, it was a, a sixty-eight. That was an assembler, Lisp interpreter. Oh God, I don't even remember. And a Turing machine. I had no time. I had no money. I got this, I filled out a couple pieces of paper and they sent me plane tickets, told me where I'd live. Like they couldn't have made it easier. So that's what got me out here. And it was not some secret, amazing master plan, you know, James Bond villain thought through. And it was just so easy. Like they made it easy. And that was great, which also in turn made me feel value, right? If you want somebody to do something you're smart to make it as easy and worthwhile for that person to do that thing. 30, almost 32 years ago. It's unbelievable. How did that happen? Nice number though, 32. I agree. I'm about to turn 32. So it's a good one. Oh, snap. Okay. I know. <laughs> it's all connected. <laughs> we got your time at Microsoft. Uh, I know you were there for up until 2000, right? And then you went and traveled for about six years. So wh what made you make the decision to go traveling? Well, I, I have Star Wars on the brain right now. And I'm not a, a complete Star Wars nerd like others out there, so forgive me. Well, I never really grew up, right? I mean, I went straight from college and dropping out of college to like just trying to make money and keep up and, and assert myself and hold my own. and. I grew up with a company, with Microsoft, and after Windows 95, I mean, just like grew without bounds. And it is funny to watch Google, Amazon, like all of these other companies that themselves are like, we're not the man, all of a sudden, you know, kind of be hit places where like massive growth kind of gets you stuck a little bit. There's a lot of duplication. I didn't kind of told you why I was there other than it was my home and I was sure I was better than that other person who, you know, they made the manager of a team and it was still, I was still in kind of outwardly focused, competitive, whatever mode. But I couldn't have told you why it mattered. Like, why did it matter to the world? Or, or could I even have, a, I didn't have a theory at all. So I kind of grew up backwards, right? In the, you know, about starting 1999, there was just this rationalization. Like Microsoft could just not keep hiring and funding like eight teams that were all doing kind of the same thing and kind of poorly, right? There weren't enough people qualified higher, much less, you know, just especially not with the rise of, um, of you know, technology companies. So I landed on the wrong side of a reorg and I was just angry. And I'm like, screw this place, I'm out of here. Mm. Like these boots are made for walking, baby. Watch me walking out the door. I tried to jump into a couple things 
right away and it was just too early. I like needed to decompress. And I don't think I realized how much my identity was tied up in being a Microsoft person. And if you're an introvert, it's also a great excuse, right? Cause you're like this thing you don't really want to do anyway. You're like, oh, well I'm, you know, like I'm on call. So like, I, I can't possibly go to your horribly boring sounding party. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sister, you know, um, it was hard to like, wait, I had to find my own routine. So I had kind of lost myself in a weird way and not really stayed true to some of my beliefs about being centered, you know, not being overly influenced by other people and, and so on. And also you can't just succeed by like being against something. It can give you some fuel, but that's not the way, you know, to travel space, right? Too much, you know, acceleration causes your spaceship to explode. Also uses a lot of fuel. You're going to need it to decelerate later when you finally find a place you want to end up. So I just was like, okay, well, I need to fill the time. And I've always wanted to read Charles Dickens beginning to end. I never had a chance when I was in school. And I started doing that. And then I have like places I'd always read about. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to sign up for some stuff, especially things I was scared of doing or didn't think that I could do. I'm weird this way. I'm one of these people that's like, "Ah, I've never run before in my life. I'm not going to sign up for a 5K. They want $30 to run 3.1 miles. That's like 10 bucks a mile. You have to pay for those? I'll sign up for for a marathon. That was my first race, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm like, well, it's like one-tenth the price per mile, you know? Um, And I sort of did that with travel. And I was like, well, I've always read about like, what's an exotic, what's at the opposite end of Seattle? And what's a place I've always been fascinated by? I'm like, ah, Kilimanjaro. And I'm like, and it's a walk-up. So I'll sign up for this adventure trip. And I get, you know, I wrote the check and, and they were kind of like, okay, can you please send your doctor's certification in fitness? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and it was so close to the start of the trip that I think they were horrified. They were like, you just need to get yourself a personal trainer. And it turns out that intelligent people, intelligent people can be the dumbest people on the planet. Cause I had really to that point thought you could be smart or you could be physically adept. It's like you get this fixed number of points like for Dungeons and Dragons and you have to decide where you're going to spend them on strengths. And it turns out that if you just actually go to the gym every day and you're, you plod along, you actually can get fit. So, so that was that. And once I started, I loved it because there's reading about a thing and it's so much more meaningful to then do the thing. And when you're reading about the place, like reading about Kathmandu and you're in Kathmandu, it's just incredible. And so some of it was escape and try all these things I hadn't done before and kind of, you know, backwards, get myself an education, although that wasn't the main purpose. But a lot of things started percolating because of that, right? You can't travel for real or travel well and avoid people. Even Antarctica, you know, and actually the North Pole's crowded apparently because people like land in helicopters before it all melts. The purpose of life is, is life, Right. And, and also I was in my thirties, so I kind of started fitting in my own skin. So kind of in the back of my head was this sort of started this idea of like, Hey, the whole point of tech is life. The whole point of that's what it's about. Tech is not a thing. It's a set of tools and a set of tools that in particular, when used right, can create more of scarce resources, not just reallocate them, create more time, more opportunity, more freedom, more happiness. For more people in more places. So that was those six years. I mean, I would say though, like it started the fun of it. It sounds great, right? Oh, living out of a suitcase, waking up and going, why not 
try Timbuktu tomorrow and, you know, skip over like the shots and, you know, all the paperwork and visas and all of that. It took me a couple of years to finally realize of this because it sounds great. Whatever you do, the majority of the time becomes work. It's like if you ate dessert all the time, it would stop being dessert. That's what I tell myself. And that was true with travel. Like it stopped being as fun when I was doing it so much. After, after a while, you kind of get stigmatismo, right? Where you're like, eh, another Madonna Colombian, another amazing church, whatever. Like I've seen 18,000, you know, Renaissance churches in the past three months. Wow. I was ready to nest after that little mini rebellion. I have heard about travel fatigue. So that, that is a thing that I've read about. Right. And this is back when it was, there was a lot less hassle involved in travel besides you actually could try showing up someplace like Russia without a visa and sort of talk, try and saying, yeah, hey, oh, I don't know what happened. It must've just gotten lost. And then, you know, which is something you'd never do today. And obviously things like security and um, hygiene are, you know, extra front of top of mind. So the hassle of travel has kind of increased, but yeah, it was fun. Unbelievably helpful for tech and my tech career. Mm, how so? Well, first of all, is that purpose? Like, why are you doing what you're doing? So if you look at really, really awful applications and websites and, and stuff, just like really, really bad movies, very rarely is it really awful and done in a very short period of time, right? It's not like it was a six hour or whatever we could get done, horrible thing. It is an accumulation of kind of mediocrity over and poor decisions or maybe 55, 45, pick the 45% one. Like it takes work. If you've ever been on projects like that or taken over projects like that, you know, you start to become an archeologist and then you realize where things often go awry is where the sense of purpose is lost. It gets muddied. It isn't understood or isn't believed in by the team. So the thing that unifies it, the thing that provides a vector point, the thing that provides coherency a North Star is gone. And so then you get like really bad high school band jazz. Having that purpose about like, okay, it helps me decide, rule stuff out. It's not just about ruling things in. It's about like, yeah, that's cool. But like, I would never do that. It doesn't mean I'm smart and good and that thing's stupid and bad. It's just like, not for me. I don't like projects like that. I think also quite a bit about leadership, which is very, very different than management. Like I made the trains run on time the first time at Microsoft. But I don't know that the passengers or the other crew on the trains were very happy. There's <laughs> more than that. Like, hey, why would people voluntarily want to hop on your train? Why would they want to stay on the train, you know, past their stop? I haven't really thought about that much. So I think those things were, and also the third thing about you can't, like a control freak, you can't. Adventure travel is where you realize you don't have control over everything. You have an illusion of control to it and you have, you have some control. And if you didn't feel like you had any, you'd be crazy, right? And you're trying to just make good decisions. And you have to make them quickly with the best info that you have. There isn't perfection. You could probably put, you can put more control, especially around adventurous type travel, but it sucks all the adventure out, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's exactly known when it's going to, you know, where it's going to go, what you're going to see. And that is comforting too. There's nothing wrong with it, but don't fool yourself. And I love adventure, I get bored. So I think that sense of like, it has to be fun and it's supposed to be fun. And the weird, scary, strange things that are gonna come up in any really interesting, new, innovative and hard software 
tech project are you have to have the having the right mind frame about them just makes a big difference both for you and for the team you know like be able to laugh at the stupid thing like yeah of course the there'd be like a fire alarm going off like five minutes before you know we're we have to send some filing to the eu you know be like yep been there so those were and i knew i didn't have to be there i think that that's the final thing i went back to microsoft because i wanted to i didn't stay because i had to and there's something doesn't mean I wouldn't be smart about, you know, picking and choosing my battles and picking and choosing my projects and picking and choosing my time. But I'm a person being a contrarian where the word should dramatically reduces my would. My mom, who's an incredibly brilliant woman, knows very well how to get me to do things that normally my would would be no. <laughs> yeah, you really shouldn't do that. You know, like you shouldn't eat broccoli. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I want to eat broccoli now. Oh, but that, hey, I am here because I want to be, you know, quarterly basis. I'm going to kind of think again, is this what I want to be doing? And it's okay if it isn't. It's not me. I'm not a child anymore. And it's not the company because I'm not a child anymore. It's just travel buddies that now want to go different places. Really, really helpful things. So taking a step back and wondering about, you mentioned control, you mentioned routine, what is your daily routine like nowadays? Because I imagine it's changed over the years once your wants and purpose changes. Yeah. Well, the the single biggest thing, so I, again, I'm about making the trains run on time, but I also need to ease into the day. So I would, and I also hated paying the peak hours toll to go across the 520 bridge from, the oh, Seattle, God. from Seattle to Microsoft and Redmond. Yeah. So yeah, I would get yeah. up at five in the morning. And feed the cats, get out the door, get my venti skinny mocha, which Starbucks has stopped offering. Mocha powder is a pain in the ass, but oh, it was awesome. Get your chocolate, your caffeine, you'd like a baby bottle, right? And get into work before six. And then I'd have an hour or two hours that was my own. Kind of, okay, like what the hell happened overnight? What am I doing? Go read some stuff. And then I was kind of ready for, to be there, to meet my responsibilities during the middle of the day, you know, during the normal quote unquote, hours. And then I had a team that was geographically dispersed. So it was also became essential. As you know, India is 16, 15 and a half to 17 and a half hours ahead, plus or minus, right? If you are a manager of a thing, your number one job is to make your team as productive as possible, right? Your job is to unblock them. And that means, you know, is it better for one person to get up early or stay up late for a meeting or 50 people? Well, that's like a no brainer. That's the number one thing that has changed. The second thing that has changed is not feeling held hostage by email. Now, I re like I have great email rules. I've never felt bad about not, like, I'm not someone who feels I have to answer my doorbell either, but that constant sense of like, it's equivalent of doom scrolling. I'm just always having to be on because lots of things are basically gonna kill you if you know they don't get routed and, and dealt with in time. So those two things are gone. I do have a routine. I mean, I have a startup. It's been actually almost exactly one year now, a little bit more than. And getting some routine in place is just, you have to. It's like, you can't eat up the miles, you know, kind of sprinting and stopping and, and somersaulting. Like you wanna get this nice pace. And also you need to plan around it, right? Like, hey, life, other things that need to get scheduled. Like, do I say yes to this or not? Well, what do I look at? So I get up a little bit later now. Well, the cats still probably wake me up five-ish, but then I go back to bed, get up at seven. 
um, my co-founder and I, Monday and Fridays are together in person in the morning, so half the day. Tuesdays and Thursdays, Thursdays in the afternoon, half a day. Half the time is my place, half the time is our HQ2. And then Wednesday mornings are working together, but synchronous online. So we try to be really smart about when are we serialized, synchronized, and when are we parallel and distributed? That has started to kind of create a nice rhythm of the week as well. Tuesday is a good day for kind of marketing communication stuff. Friday is a good day for reflection, you know, bills, tactical stuff, and, and so on. And, you know, when you have a startup, like you, your customers come first, but it, it doesn't feel like work. But I mean, like sat, I, weekends are great times for, I'd say, more free thinking projects. Like, I wonder, how, like, I have no idea how this, if this is even going to work, but I can try it. The weekdays are more about kind of more tactical, like progress on like, okay, I've got this document ingested and I can analyze it now. That kind of thing. And I'd say the, it's wonderful. I mean, having autonomy and flexibility at the same time is great. Some of that, I think even people that work in big companies have, have got this past year because of COVID and working from home. So good to a point. The second thing is really, I have the time and space more than I thought, way more to learn new things and then I apply them. So it's not just theoretical learning. Like I would try to read up on stuff when I was at Microsoft, there's zero chance I was gonna go be, you know, playing around a lot with Docker. There's no time and nothing mm -hmm. to do with what I was up to. And reading only gets you so far, you know, like engineering is a context, you gotta get your hands on, you gotta get your hands dirty. And I'm actually using these things or trying to, to solve a problem, which is like always incredibly caring and helpful, right? I think that the creativity, like I'd say the hassle fact, there's hassle factors for sure with startup, but every one of these hassles, I know why, right? I know the purpose and I know that this hassle is like, I know why it matters. It's not created by me. It's not created by somebody else. And it's just some weird maze I have to navigate. And I'm not even sure if it matters or if it does matter, if it's even measurable in the next, you know, like year to three years. So that's pretty Cool. I wish I had done this sooner. I don't know if I would have been ready, but I wish I had done this sooner. Are we ever ready? No, in fact, the only way you can get really ready is by doing it. So you have to get to like <laughs> that 80, 79% engineering, maybe 69%, right? Like, okay, I'm not ready, but like, what's the worst that's gonna happen if I press this button? Like, okay, it's not gonna be red and stimpy and I press the red button, right? It's like, okay, the worst that's gonna happen is I'm gonna cost us five cents on our cloud spend. Okay, like that's, I can deal with that, you know? Uh, I have so many more questions, but I know we're getting a little bit low on time, so I'm- Ooh, I talk so much, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, 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 it's just that these are all like great answers and I have so much more, like I, I swear we could talk for hours, but it's- Well, we can, uh, maybe we can do a follow-up, you know? Assuming yeah, Assuming sure. that we don't lose, don't lose followers after this gets published. Oh, no way. <laughs> Or you could do a what next with people. Yeah, I think I did that for one guest and said we could do a follow-up. And yeah, we could do the same for you. Happy to. Or we can even just talk and not have it be a commercial venture. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll go with a couple more questions, but this I'll try to make them count. So what lessons would you like to share with the audience? These are lessons um, that I feel, but I would not go back in time and change that made me learn them. Because it, it wouldn't have, I wouldn't be where I am today. It's kind of one of those, you can't have one without the other thing, right? And they're also just never as real as when you really experience it. 
I think the number one lesson is, and I was, and even as a rebel contrarian, like I was caught up in the numbers game. And I think particularly top universities and even young people like in their first or second job at tech company or company that uses tech, which is a lot of companies, there's so much around numbers and we've almost added to it with data science focus and, you know, OKRs, but your life is not a number and you have fixed time, right? So stuff has to give. So really knowing that your value is not being third in a class of 1600. I don't know, maybe that year 1597 people like took a vacation, right? You, you will get nowhere. You will stress yourself out. Um, you will always be kind of like a, a small person on the end of a leash tied to a big dog kind of getting whomped around. So really, really, really finding what makes you happy. And obviously, you know, isn't sociopathic or psychopathic. Okay. Knowing who you are and accepting it doesn't mean you shouldn't try to be a better version, but knowing that every single thing about us makes us unique as individuals is also an asset. And if you think about innovation, it is not the mainstream, it is different. And, you know, I think when you're in school or in any situation, there can be a lot of pressure to be conform, like the herd mentality, but there is no innovation or standing out if you, if you kind of stand down, kind of try to hide your head and really embracing that. And, and I think you have to understand that there will be times you will be exactly the same person. You will be the coolest thing ever. Everyone will be like, oh my God, she's a visionary. She was talking about this five years ago. One year later, you can be exactly the same person, same, and everybody like, oh my God, that's like so four years ago, right? There's a this novelty in this Ferris wheel. You can't let it affect you too much. So I really, trying to find those things, find the people who love you no matter what, and love is unconditional, right? I mean, within like, you know, the 95% thing, like if you're cannibal, sorry that and the value of that resiliency so that, that those that's really the single biggest lesson and that's not very neatly said but i feel it so much and that realizing all of these times where i felt like an outsider or a contrarian or being stubborn or a rebel is also exactly what has helped me succeed it's not a zero or a one there's times when too much of it is bad and there's times when too little of it is bad and then playing to those strengths and then appreciating people that do things differently because it gives you kind of more coverage, right? Those are things on my mind a lot. The third one is I really wish I had been able to snack at the buffet of Harvard more. Not because I can't go read you know, the philosophers, but the community aspect of it. I really spent the first 30 years of my life pretty much trying to avoid people. I'm an introvert. Doesn't mean I can't be really social and talkative, but it takes energy out of me. And that trying to ignore them and just wish they wouldn't bother me and they're messy and blah, 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 blah. And not really understanding the value of community. And also that the biggest gift you can give to a fellow community member sometimes is taking. It's easy to give, right? You don't have any dependencies. You're still free if you give. But to take, to say, I need help. You are a genius. Could you help me? Not take too much, but that those are unbelievably valuable things. 
That said, it's a lot easier to take after you've given, you know, like networking events make me go, ah, but if I go, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to meet some people, maybe make some connections and I'm going to invest in something and it'll pay a return later. Like I'll never be truly like social chair type person, but that real value of human beings and that they're the purpose of all of this, you know, they're not messy messy entities we're just waiting for the you know robot computer overlords to take over from they're the reason we're doing all this stuff right we're trying to assist and augment intelligence not replace it those would be some life i've I've way too many i'm still a year from now i'll be like oh my god and actually every year has been this way where january third or fourth rolls around and i go oh my god i was such an idiot last year i can't believe i actually went about this that way. Like I didn't even make a worker thread. What the hell? How did it even work? And this is the year where I finally got it all together and, you know, understand everything. Maybe that feeling will last for a week here and there. And may that continue my entire life. Because it means I'm learning and growing, which my past is always changing. Yeah. We're always, we're always a work in progress. Yeah. And so like, why not? You know, it's a lot easier to not have to pretend to be perfect. Right? You can actually set a lower bar and then have people be pleasantly surprised. They'll be like, oh my God, she put lipstick on. <laughs> For those of you who are listening, Stefan and I, we originally had video on and then Stefan said, hey, this is just audio only. And then I was sitting there going like, why did I bother putting lipstick on? <laughs> actually, I did it because it's like an armor. It makes me feel good, but, um, but still. Picture dog pajamas flannel pajamas on the bottom and lipstick on the top. Yeah, thanks for dealing with my mishap. Huh? I, I should have <laughs> should have told you to, to begin with. Ah, I, that wasn't a mishap. I could have asked. <laughs> I figured we'd figure it out. And also, you know, if you prepare too much, you lose the magic or you can lose the magic. Of course, if you prepare too little, you'll miss the magic, right? The magic won't even happen. It's unfortunate there's no video because that lipstick is bang on. It's really good. Well, it's because I'm wearing like an orange. I have I'm I'm Scots Irish Polish, so I'm kind of orangey, and I'm wearing like an orange down hoodie, so it really pops. How can people find you? Oh, I'm easy. Harder is how can you possibly get away from me? Laura Cat PJs L A U R A C A T P J S like cat pajamas, right? On Twitter and on LinkedIn. So hit me up. That's how you and I met each other, Stefan, right? You just said, hey, you want to talk? I'm like, sure. Um, If you would like to know more about my startup, uh, you can reach me through those channels and maybe just maybe after a very lengthy, exhausting series of tests and vetting process, I'll let you be an insider and you can get updates. (laughs) Awesome. Or be a customer. Man, you want to get fast path to talk to me? Like be a customer of my startup and talk to you at like two in the morning. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm very approachable. Thanks to Laura for coming onto the show. You can find her on Twitter and LinkedIn at LauraCatPJs, L-A-U-R-A-C-A-T-P-J-S. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, or by email at Harvard and Tech Seattle. Links will be in the show notes.